It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we are going to meet one of the more interesting candidates in this coaching search. A very hot name that's been talked about for a while. They call him an offensive whiz kid. Only one year as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. It was for the Carolina Panthers. I'm talking, of course, about Joe Brady. So... I went out and got my buddy Tony Dunn from the C3 Panthers podcast to come in and talk about Joe Brady because very few people know more about the Carolina Panthers than Tony. Tony, welcome back to the show, buddy. Man, glad to be here. It's been a sorry I'm a little late. Been a rough kind of wild week for me, but man, yeah, I'm I'm ready to talk and we're all in the search for something, right? That's right. Every single time we turn around, the Panthers and the Jets are looking for something. The last time I think we did one of these crossovers, I was on your podcast to talk about Robbie Anderson last offseason, and I think that one worked out pretty well for you guys, right? Dude, he's been amazing, and I tell you, amazing in a way we didn't expect, and um, I don't think it's really, I won't say it's fault, like because that makes it sound bad, is, you know, you bring him in and you think, man, we're going to take the top off these defenses. We're going to, man, we got this deep field threat. And he came in, he had like 1,000 yards and was a possession receiver and did a lot for the team. Uh, funny guy. And, yeah, man, we are, we are happy with him. It's just now we kind of have a gluttony of riches when it comes to wide receiver. And it's like, what do you do? Good problem to have, and we'll get back to that in a little bit because I want to talk about Joe Brady's offense and how Robbie Anderson did in it. But first, let's go through his background really quickly. He grew up in Florida, and he was a wide receiver at Everglades High School, ends up moving on to college and playing at William & Mary. He doesn't play a ton there, but ends up graduating and going into coaching because he knew he wasn't good enough to continue playing at a higher level. He starts off as a grad assistant at William & Mary, then moves on to become a grad assistant at Penn State. This is all between the years 2013 and 2016. Two years at William & Mary, two years at Penn State. Then he goes to the Saints, where he's a low-level assistant under Sean Payton for two years, 2017 and 2018. And this, Tony is where he starts to get his notoriety because he goes to LSU as passing game coordinator under Ed Ogeron in 2019. We all know what happened there. The offense was historical. Joe Burrow came out of nowhere, won the Heisman Trophy. They won the national championship. That offense was electric. And now all of a sudden, he's one of the hottest names out there. So LSU signs him to a three-year extension. Unfortunately for them, there was a clause in the deal that allowed Brady to leave if he wanted to go back to the NFL which is what he did. Matt Rule, who the Panthers hired as their new head coach 
last season, he decided to bring in Joe Brady as his offensive coordinator. So this is kind of interesting because Matt Rule's the guy that a lot of Jets fans wanted as the head coach in 2018. Joe Brady is somebody that a lot of Jets fans want now. So full circle in that regard a little bit. Tell me a little bit about what was going on in the minds of people that cover and root for the Panthers when Matt Rule came in and decided on Joe Brady, who had one year of experience as a passing game coordinator, but was a hot name at the time when those two came to town. The story of Joe Brady has kind of, it's been dovetailed to Matt Rule. And what I mean by that is, I mean, obviously they come in, so they're going to be connected. But it is a story about can guys who have success in college translate to the NFL and have success. So this was the same question that we were going to be asking both the head coach and the offensive coordinator. And that was what we were looking at, right? Is that Matt rules coming in and he's known as the fixer, fixes temple, fixes Baylor. Now we need him to fix Carolina. And Joe Brady is coming off of this sensational I mean, it, it's kind of it's a it's a unprecedented offensive season when it comes to what they did at LSU, and and he did get a lot of notoriety for it. So I don't think anybody was concerned about uh, whether these guys knew enough about football, or if they were going to be able to design what was necessary to win on the field. It was just a question of would it translate from college to the NFL. And that's kind of what we've been tracking the whole time. And I did, while you were giving your introduction of Joe Brady, I did want to mention this as someone who is a history instructor at a community college, those who cannot do teach. <laughs> <laughs> Brady could not do. Yeah. And with football, he teaches. No. Uh, so 30 years old, he comes to the Carolina Panthers, and I, I don't know. I, I feel like he was playing with house money when, when it comes to Carolina. And both Matt Rule and Joe Brady for us were all playing for house money. We've said this on the podcast over and over. It's, it's really going to be hard for them uh, to do anything that makes us be really questionable in year one going forward. And we were really, I think, just trying to monitor how did the team look? Did it look like it was confused and out of sorts and in over their head or – you know, we didn't need W's to tell us what we needed to know. What we needed to see is a team that got better from week to week, that looked prepared, that looked like they had been well coached and, and been put in the places to succeed. And I think we saw a lot of that from Matt Rule and, uh, in many cases, the Joe Brady offense. Interestingly, the offense did seemingly regress a little throughout the season. So, I mean, here, I've got a lot to say about Joe Brady. I'll, let, I'll give the mic back to you. <laughs> Looking forward to hearing what you have to say. That's the whole reason I wanted to talk to you, Tony, because I know that you can give us an accurate picture of what happened in Carolina this year. I do want to bring up what Matt Rule said when explaining his decision to hire Joe Brady. He said, the reason I wanted to hire Joe was at LSU. He ran a version of the Saints system. As a college coach, I studied NFL tape all the time. Obviously, with them being in the NFC South, I have so much respect for Sean Payton, their system, their ability to consistently execute and play at the highest of levels. And so you see Joe with his own take on this, and that's really strong fundamentally and sound fundamentally. And then he also said at the time, the reality is, and I say this because Joe's become very close with me, I'll have no idea really what he's about until we get to the season. You really can't find out 
what a guy is like until things go bad. When you're getting booed off a field and all heck is breaking loose, that's when you really find out about people. Everyone gets along in the offseason. Everyone loves you in OTAs. You find out about your locker room. You find out about your coaches. You find out about yourself when things go wrong. So let's start there. The relationship between Rule and Brady this year. What was it like? You know, I think everything is. I, I really feel like uh, Matt Rule brings in a, a, um, a kind of a a culture where you want to work together. And, and so I wouldn't, I, I found at no point were there any signs of any kind of disjointedness between the expectations of the head coach and his coordinators. In fact, I felt like he was their biggest cheerleader and he should be, is that because overall the Panthers exceeded expectations throughout the season. Um, the only thing I think that would be worthy of note I guess, is to say this, is at one point early in the season, maybe it was like two or three games into the season, Joe Brady was originally calling plays from the press box. Mm -hmm. And then um, they decided, and Matt Rule sold it as a a joint decision, right? And, you know, we didn't really hear Joe Brady much on it. But then he decided to move down to the field and be the offensive play caller from the field to get, I guess, a better sense from the players. From you know, so he could interact with his wide receivers, interact with um, with Teddy Bridgewater and the quarterbacks. You know, so there's a lot of interesting things. The dialogue for us goes well. Is this trying to? Is this something that gives you an advantage in in their mind, or are you really just trying to cultivate Joe Brady for knowing how to be on the field and get a, a sense of that? You know, you almost wonder were they grooming him from the beginning for the next step. Um. But the, no, the the offense was great. Uh, I mean, where he was fine. I would say he was he was just fine. Is that some people thought that he's an offensive genius and a guru? I won't necessarily say that we saw anything that that just made you go, "Wow, we're never going to see this offensive mind uh, going again." But you know what? The team looked like he, he he called good games every week. He made a couple of mistakes at times, but who doesn't? And Matt Rule. And then both uh, ate it and said, look, you know, we got to, you know, be a little bit more direct in how we're calling these situations, the situational football, how we're going to manage the clock. But, yeah, I mean, for I I tell you this, for him being 30, um, for not really having and I know I know they said he was with the Saints and he spent the time he was there. I just don't know how intimately how, you know, I mean, I've worked at many jobs, Scott, like how do you just learn the saint system by being basically an intern for two years, but it was a good experience for him. And I would say this is that look is that he was, he had a lot of responsibility this year and I think he answered the call. Um, so yeah, it was good, but I'm, I'm interested to see what you guys got to say about a guy who really is barely got any, he's barely wet behind the ears is already getting um, a lot of play at head coach. Well, that's why I wanted to talk to you because I thought you could shed some light on this and make it an easier thought process for Jets fans. Obviously, we're not the ones making the decision, but it's still good for us to have all the information so that we can accurately assess what the team is doing. Of course, last time, most of us thought that the Adam Gase hire was terrible, so at least we were right and they were wrong. I'd like to see them get it right this time, so if Brady is going to be the guy, want to know everything we can about him, and let's talk a little bit about that offense. As you said, he was with the Saints for two years as a low-level assistant. 
went to LSU, had a ton of success in the passing game. Now, he didn't call all the plays there, so this was his first season as the full-time play caller. The offensive coordinator at LSU would call the plays. He would let Brady call plays sometimes, pull it back when he needed to, let Brady continue when he had the hot hand, but this was the first time that he was the full-time play caller, and he brought that Saints offense that Matt Rule liked to Carolina, also brought a guy that he worked with in New Orleans, the player who was the backup quarterback at the time, Teddy Bridgewater, who became the starter this year for the Carolina Panthers. So tell me a little bit about what that system was like in functionality with the receivers. We know they had 2,000-yard receivers in DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. And then, of course, Teddy Bridgewater. He and Brady seemed to have a really good relationship. In fact, here's what Teddy Bridgewater had to say about Joe Brady. Joe is just a guy who's been the same throughout this entire process. We love that he's able to bring out the best in different guys around here. You look at certain things that we're doing individually. Joe is a huge part of that among the other coaches on this staff. He went on to say, I think you want to be able to groom your coordinators to eventually be head coaches and position coaches to be coordinators and eventually head coaches from top down coach rule and the way this staff has come together in such little time is just fun to be a part of. And there was a big-time coach outside of Carolina who noticed the relationship between Bridgewater and Brady. It was Bruce Arians, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He said, Teddy was able to adapt really quickly because he played in the offense and knew the terminology. There was a familiarity. So next was getting the rest of the guys up to speed, which it looks like they've done pretty quickly because they're playing really, really well on offense. And it's interesting to hear a coach of that magnitude say something like that about Teddy Bridgewater in the Joe Brady offense because when it comes to Bridgewater, he's somebody that a lot of people question whether or not he could be a full-time starter again, especially with those injuries a couple of years ago. But he had a pretty solid season, especially for somebody that hadn't been a full-time starter for quite a few years. Well, I think, uh, I think Scott, you kind of outlined a lot of, of good things about the Joe Brady offense is that, um, you know, the the Panthers didn't have the necessarily great offensive line. Uh, they didn't have a lot of studs. There was a lot of question about is, is DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson going to be enough? And, you know, the, the volume was there. I mean, you got two 1,000-yard receivers, like you said. Uh, DJ Moore goes and gets like 1,300 yards. On top of that, Curtis Samuel is the name to be watching in free agency this year Mm -hmm. and just really turned it on as a third receiver, great third down. Uh, The offense moved between the 20s, but we've had this problem in Carolina Mm -hmm. that we just really get ground down and stonewall in the red zone. And so what we get here is this, is that in many ways, look, Joe Brady did fine. He called good games. Everything was fine. It was a lot of uh, – oh, and, and and to add to this, no Christian McCaffrey. Right. And you bring in Mike Davis, who has also got over 1,000 all-yard, all-purpose yards. But here, we didn't put up touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And if there is a stain on Joe Brady's offense, it's the thing that a lot of people hang their hat on the most, and that is his ties to Teddy Bridgewater. And – uh you know, you, you got to imagine that he was rubbing elbows with Teddy Bridgewater a lot while he was in the Saints locker room, like you said, as a, a low-level assistant, probably hanging out with the backup quarterbacks a lot. Teddy Bridgewater is just not it, man. He just doesn't have the talent to really get – you know, I mean, he doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Actually, he ended up doing so towards the end of the season. 
He just doesn't have the arm strength. And so what you saw in LSU the year before, it, it, it resembled the Panthers offense this year, zilch. It was spread. It was like a spread offense. And it really looked like what you were, what you would call with a Drew Brees, who is a shell of himself where they, you know, pass a lot, but it's all, they're almost like running plays. So I, I think this is, I, I was very impressed with Joe Brady's ability to handle an offense, to construct it, to get these guys to teach it, to do all of this. He did have the advantage of having Teddy Bridgewater, who was familiar with all of it. So it wasn't like introducing the quarterback and he had to spend all his time with him. But at the same time, the guy, he, we're, we're kind of wondering who picked Teddy Bridgewater. Who hand-selected Teddy Bridgewater to bring him into Carolina to be the answer? Because he's on a three-year deal. It wasn't just a one-year deal. They put more stock in him than they probably should have. And if anything, that's the stain on the Joe Brady resume, is not knowing that Teddy Bridgewater couldn't really get it done in the NFL. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Tony, I want to go through some of the finer points of how the Panthers' offense produced this year because, to me, it seems like it was a little bit of a mixed bag. On the plus side, they didn't have Christian McCaffrey, and as you said, the offensive line wasn't fantastic, so you have to keep that in mind. And the production on paper was pretty solid in a lot of areas. They were 14th in passing yards per game, 11th in sack percentage allowed, 11th in yards per completion, 3rd in completion percentage, 15th in quarterback rating, and they were still 17th in yards per attempt, which isn't bad for, as you said, an offense that wasn't exactly elite. But here's where the problems come in. You mentioned this, the red zone, big problem, 28th in red zone offense, another problem, 24th in third down conversion rate. And then you look at some of the situational play calling, calling that QB sneak with Teddy Bridgewater against the Packers, which cost them the game because Bridgewater fumbled the ball, could have given it to Mike Davis. Would have been a pretty easy touchdown, you would think. Then, of course, the game against Minnesota, where they had that communication problem, where Bridgewater rushed to play on third down. Brady wasn't able to get to him in time to let him know that Rule didn't want to run a play before the two-minute warning. So that became a bit of a disaster, too. So, as you said, there's a lot of good there. There was some production. But between the 20s, they struggled. On third down, they struggled. Situational play calling, sometimes they struggled. These are very important things in the NFL because you've got to move the chains and you've got to put touchdowns on the board. And the Panthers struggle to do that a lot of the time. So plenty of promising signs in Joe Brady's first year running an NFL offense, but some red flags there too, no? I think there's offensive red flags. So if we want to talk about him, like red flags as a uh, as a coordinator, I would say there's not a lot. Uh, is that if you go down to a lot, a couple of those situations, and you really dig into what some of the pressers said is, look, Teddy Brit, Teddy Bridgewater tried to do a Cam Newton and go over the top on first down, and they called a QB sneak, and he and Matt, and Matt Rule comes out and says after the game. We teach on the QB sneak, you dive under the pile. Mm -hmm. Teddy kind of improvised there and ended up uh, kind of screwing things up. Teddy Bridgewater has really been the biggest kind of Achilles heel for this offense. And to be honest, that might be where Joe Brady has shined the most is making a lot out of a quarterback that is not that great. Now, the real question, though, is, is he ready for the prime time? Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, is that – I don't know. I don't know. Is that this? Is there's kind of two schools of thought? I think this is. I think that Brady 
personally, I think he would benefit from being part of Matt Rule's staff for a couple more years before he got a head coaching job. But that's just a personal opinion. It's not because I really know something about Joe Brady, if he's ready or not. But I just have some opinions about why that's the case. Number one is this, is I think that the reason that Joe Brady's name is a hot name right now, this is a Sean McVay kind of syndrome. And that is, you. we want to be the team. Look, we watch here. Let me put it this way. is For two decades before Sean McVay was hired, we saw the same retread of coaches. It was a musical chairs of head coaches throughout the league, whether it be um, – uh, I mean, you know, I mean, it's just the same names here. Look, is Mike McCarthy to Dallas is like the final dinosaur of the retread of coaches. <laughs> Sean McVay's success and with the Rams has sparked this kind of new willingness of owners to take a risk on the young up and coming talent. So you look there, you look at Kingsbury, you look at LaFleur, you look at what they hired in Cincinnati. And the idea is, is that you can bring in this young guy and he's going to inject this energy and enthusiasm to the football field that really translates differently than it maybe used to translate because players and social media, and they maybe know how to connect better than before. So I think Joe Brady is benefiting from that new trend. But at the end of the day is, and you know what? And maybe it works. Maybe it's great. Who knows? I just told some my questions are less about with Joe Brady and can he manage the offense mm-hmm. and more about can he manage an organization? And I don't know him well enough on an individual basis to know exactly this, but one of the things that we haven't had a head coach in a while, Scott, a new head coach in a while. So this year with Matt Rule, some of the quest, some of the things I hadn't thought about in a long time had kind of popped up. One of those being like Matt Rue would talk about this is like when we're going to have our, uh, our rest day or when guys are going to do their schedule for therapy or when we're going to leave to travel and mm-hmm. how. Co- and those are the things that are interesting to me about a young guy who maybe knows a lot about football, but managing rosters, managing the training staff, getting, you know, the treatment, scheduling the practices and the organizational side of things. Those, I think, are the major questions that pop up with coaches who just haven't been involved in football in a long time. And there's some credence. This is Matt Rule wasn't the most experienced guy, but he did run some college programs. But he has talked over and over about how his time with Tom Coughlin with the Giants. This is how we did it when I was there. This is how Andy Reid did it. You know, and they would, and he has modeled and mimicked some of those. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not the football part of the game. It's the small stuff. It's like, uh, like I said, when we're taking water breaks or when the guys are going to get treatment or how we deal with these things. So I think that that's really the real question mark with a young coach like this is nobody questions whether or not you can call the game. You know, it's just whether or not you can deal with all the other crap, I think, is really the interesting question. 
and whether or not he has the personality for it too, because especially if you're going to be coming to New York, there's a story that was printed in SI about one time in New Orleans where he was moving through a bar, kind of hiding his face, didn't want to be recognized. Somebody recognized him. They started yelling his name and he scurried through the crowd because he was embarrassed I'm not so sure that's something that would fly in New York because obviously if you're the head coach of the New York Jets, you are going to be recognized everywhere you go. He's been described by former players and colleagues as cool but quiet, confident without bordering on cockiness. And it's said that he doesn't really have very many interests outside of football. Described as a bit of a nerd whose only real outside interests are hanging out with his girlfriend and watching The Office doesn't appear to be a guy that loves attention. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but remember, here in New York, there'd be a lot of press conferences. He'd have to deal with so many fires that he'd have to put out, everything from PR to crisis management. He would have to have his hand in that. He would have to deal with the coaches, the players, placating upper management, dealing with the fans. So much that goes into this just beyond running an offense. Does he seem to be a guy that's built for that? I think so, is that, you know, he's a very thoughtful person. He's well-spoken. He's measured. He takes a lot of accountability for things. So, yes, I think he could deal with questions. And, you know, the best way to kind of deal with, like, aggressive media questions is to just handle it thoughtfully and honestly. And that kind of just settles the situation down. So, yeah, I think he's – look, he's very articulate. Um, He's And like I said, he's thoughtful. So, yeah, I think he can handle – I think he has all the talent in the world to to kind of progress. I think I'd be asking other questions. This is, though, if you're 30 years old and you get hired as the head coach and you've got to assemble your first coaching staff, we we know how many of these coaches rely on their connections, their history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't it's not like you just get to put the 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 resume up on indeed or whatever the, one of these hiring <laughs> websites is, is that, and I feel like you would be scrambling then I would say scrambling, but you would really need to rely on a lot of those relationships that you have built throughout the past. Look at what Matt rule has done is um, he didn't even know Joe Brady and he hired him. That might've been, but you know where he's dragged everywhere, everywhere with him. The guy who gave him his first job, Phil snow. Mm-hmm. So I'm, and, and, you know, sometimes we make fun of the nepotism or the incestuous relationships in the NFL of how, well, I mean, like when Ron Rivera goes to the Redskins and leaves the Panthers, he brings everybody. He brings his offensive coordinator. He brings his damn doctor with the, his trainer. But I, I, And, you know, you kind of make fun of it on one hand, but you're like, what else do you do? Um, so I think those are some of the things that I, w- I would ultimately be interested in seeing how some of these young guys – deal with it and um i don't know is man his stock has is skyrocketed i I cannot tell you isn't it a crazy story if you just Mm -hmm. think about it a guy who's barely played football who then is an assistant to an assistant and with the saints then calls third downs and passing downs Mm -hmm. in this prolific offense then he gets an offensive coordinator now he's being shopped at like six places for a head coaching job the rise is meteoric Yeah, no question about it. And I think that's why it's such a hotly debated topic right now. The Athletics spoke to a whole bunch of people around the league about whether or not they felt Brady was ready to be a head coach. And the response they got was pretty split. But you mentioned Phil Snow. 
He likes Brady and thinks Brady can do it. He says, when you hear him talk to the team and to the offense, he just commands what he's saying, and I think people follow him. So, yeah, I think Joe will do fine. A lot of young coaches have done well in this league right now, so I don't know why Joe couldn't do that. And then he also went on to cite his good work with quarterbacks, talking about how, as you said, Teddy Bridgewater, while not a top-of-the-league quarterback, produced at a reasonably good level this year, and that was partially because of the work that he did with Joe Brady, Brady, of course, knowing him from his time in New Orleans, and then everybody knows what happened with Joe Burrow at LSU. So it's a really interesting question because, as you said, it's that meteoric rise. You have a divide as to whether or not teams should take the chance on him this early. Do you think this is sort of a boomer bust kind of thing? It's either you're getting a star a year too early or two or three years from now, you're going to have a major regret. I mean, I guess is that, you know, you want to, uh, there's a lot of risk in any of these decisions, right? Mm-hmm. You, and I don't know. I wish I could give you a good, easy answer about this. But right now is that I hear it. Let me, let me give you one, I guess, positive about hiring somebody like Joe Brady. And that is hiring an offensive guy. Uh, you look to the success. Uh, we've dealt with defensive coaches our entire time in Carolina. And uh, every time we do really well, uh, one of our assistants moves on. And then the question is, is how do you replace them? And do you lose continuity? Do you lose momentum? There's great examples of, of, of this throughout the league. Dan Quinn in Atlanta, their trip to the Super Bowl, Kyle Shanahan and this masterful offense, he leaves and they're just not able to put it all back together again. And it, it affected the defense. It affected the offense. So I think there's a lot of benefit in this. If you get a guy that's young, got the energy, and is an offensive guy, and they find success, the good news is you get to keep them. You know, they're not going to go anywhere. Their assistants will leave, and hopefully the strength and the, the intellect and the talents that they had will, ca- will continue and continue to ca- catapult you to success. But, man, it really stinks when you have all this great success and then this brilliant person leaves for a new place and you can't replicate that magic. But there is a ton of risk in hiring any of these guys. And I think I, I honestly think this is that if if he if he had a couple more years in the in the NFL and got the head coaching job and, and was interviewing with you, I would say, let's do it. Right. Mm-hmm. I kind of I want to see more. I want to see more of them just for me in Carolina is because I still have some questions. I got some questions about Teddy Bridgewater and the, the wisdom behind that acquisition for a three year deal. Why would you give such a long deal to a guy? Not long. It's not like the, the longest deal or something, but like a guy hasn't played a full season. Like how are, how is he able to get a three year deal? But Cam only got a one year deal. Right. I mean, I don't know. And and maybe that's just me being salty about it. But those are the things I kind of want to see this is that, look, I'm going to give you a glowing review of Joe Brady, but I'm not ready to sign uh, like a a letter of recommendation from to be a head coach yet. I'm ready to (laughs) I want to see what he can continue to do to Mm -hmm. grow as an offensive coordinator. But the real story in the NFL, though, right now is you don't want to miss that opportunity when it's there. And that's why Joe Brady's getting the run right now is because this is all you're always hitting, trying to hit the moving target and you'd rather be a day early than two years late. 
That's pretty much what I'm saying. At this point, it seems like the teams that are interviewing Brady are trying to be ahead of the game. And so the question is, are they ahead of the game? Or is this just something where they're seeing potential? But as you said, there are questions. There are things that need to be fleshed out. Maybe by hiring him early, you end up stunting his growth and it doesn't work out. Certainly, a big part of this is going to be, as you said, who can help Joe Brady? Who comes along with him if somebody hires him? You joked about Ron Rivera before and how he takes everybody with him, including, by the way, the offensive line coach, John Matsko. Shout out to my friend Larry because Larry is John Matsko's nephew. So they've got one of the best there in D.C. with Ron Rivera. But as you said, nothing wrong with having guys you trust, guys you like, guys you know you can rely on to bring with you anywhere. Do you have a sense of who those guys might be for Joe Brady? Are there guys that came in with him from LSU that he might want to bring with him if he were to get a head coaching job? Or is there somebody else on the Panthers staff that he became close with that you think he might want to take with him? No, I think that's the biggest, one of the bigger risks with him is that not only is he so young and fresh, he came on a fresh, on a staff that was fresh. No, he doesn't have any of those guys. And he shouldn't, to be honest at this point, but even our, and I forget his name, our quarterback coach just signed. Now he's LSU's offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. So he left the team. So I don't think he, and, and he's certainly not cherry picking Phil Snow from Matt Rule. So, no, he's going to have to build all those relationships, and you got to hope he's got a lot on his own. The last thing the Jets need to do is hire another offensive guru or quarterback whisperer who ends up being a complete failure as head coach. In other words, the story of Joe Brady is the story of somebody with a lot of question marks but a lot of exciting potential. So the question becomes, is it worth ignoring the question marks and leaning heavily on the exciting potential, or do you err on the side of caution and go in another direction? If you make the right decision, you're going to look back at this and breathe a sigh of relief. If you make the wrong decision, if you don't hire Joe Brady and he goes on to be a great coach, or you do hire him and he ends up having problems and in two or three years he needs to be fired and you need to bring in somebody else, then you're going to live with that regret. And in the case of Joe Douglas, it could wind up that he ends up getting himself fired if he makes the wrong call. So very risky, but very very exciting candidate here, Joe Brady, and I'm glad that Tony Dunn from the C3 Panthers podcast was able to take some time and educate us about what happened with him in Carolina this past year. Question for you before we go. Sure. Will you trade us your second pick? <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Can't do anything for you there. <laughs> so Sam Darnold's your guy? Not your guy? Should I say not your guy? No, if you want him to replace Teddy Bridgewater, I'll put whoever the new GM of the Panthers is in touch with Joe Douglas and see if we can work out a deal. <laughs> All right. Well, that stinks because I don't want Sam Darnold and I don't want Teddy Bridgewater. I was hoping that maybe you would take Teddy Bridgewater and Joe Brady. Trade you Darnold for Bridgewater if you want to do that. <laughs> really? Oh, I do that in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Bridgewater is a bum. Scott, it was it was a it was great hanging out with you, Scott. Uh, and I want to go ahead and put the invite out. We want you on the C3 Panthers draft party. Just a couple of minutes of your time after the Jets pick would be amazing. Tony, you know I'm always down to hang out with you guys. You don't even have to ask draft party or any other time. If the Panthers go out and get somebody from the Jets or there's any other reason you want me to come on, I'm happy to do it anytime. I'm really glad that you were able to come on the show and talk to us 
about Joe Brady today. And I want people to be able to follow you guys, to check out the website, to listen to the podcast, to watch the videos. So how can they do that? The C3 Panthers podcast, wherever you get podcasts at, we're part of the Overtime Media Group, as well as we're we're just the longest running Panthers podcast. That's including the team itself podcast. We have done more shows without a break than anybody. That doesn't mean we have the most listeners, but we have a great community we've built on YouTube. You can find us every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. live, and you can follow me on Twitter at cat underscore chronicles. There you go. Follow Tony on Twitter and make sure that you're checking out his work with the C3 Panthers podcast and the website as well. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.